0: Deep Shock. Deep
1: Shock. I've got a backup picture of a copy bearer and its babies if things get too awful. Just look at the copy and the baby copy and I'm
2: happy. Oh, I see. It's a, it's a little, little, little case, self-medication. Right, it's like the otters the for me. It's...
0: For otters, pod, cats for me. Of course, Andy's got to be capybara.
2: <laughs> it's the world's
0: largest
1: rodent. Jesus Christ.
2: I will say that for a rodent, they're, they're adorable. I mm. wouldn't call them cuddly, but they are cute.
1: And apparently they're tasty as hell. Well, all rodents are really adorable. Yeah, but how many are tasty? I, I,
0: I, I
2: wouldn't know. Be my, my, my biggest memory of capybaras is going to the San Diego Zoo And watching one shit downstream while the other one drank from it. It was was a a wonderful moment of nature.
0: Nice. (laughs) What nature? That's a superb comment on human existence. Mm.
2: (laughs) It it is. Ladies and gentlemen, capitalism brought to you by the coffee bars of San Diego Zoo. (laughs) Didn't
3: didn't we see like a – it was like a polar bear or a hippo something like that take a big shit – in the in the pool while it was underwater, Todd. Sure. I swear that that happened when you and I were there.
2: Sure, but it's not like the it took a big dump in the. Well, who knows where they're drinking their water from? Frankly, could very well yes, be. Exactly. But but, but th- yeah. this one is so overt because it's not like one was on one side of the pen and the other one was the on the other. It was like this one was taking a shit two feet away from where this one was drinking it. It was flowing toward. <laughs> The I'll, other have
1: one, have, so. I'll have to ask my brother about that. They, well, he has, said that, he has said that capybaras are great zoo animals because they get along with nearly every other animal. They can put them in an enclosure, basically.
2: Yeah, I do enjoy them. I, I, could, I could watch capybaras for a good while. And if they don't get along,
0: well, they're tasty. Right?
2: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number 581. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Capybara K. Right, that's mine uh fact that's Andy. <laughs> and we're talking weak and geek no matt this week that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes well i can tell you what he did geeky this week he did tell me that uh nothing oh, yeah? so that's so we got that out of the way we don't even uh. need matt for that do we we just we just know so that being said gentlemen what geeky things did you do this week jeff i'm gonna let oh. you start because i know you got stuff I watched a couple movies on
3: Hulu this week, of all places. I, I just always forget Hulu has like movies on them, and some of them are fairly recent movies. The little backstory on why I watch these on Hulu a few weeks ago, I got one of those new Chromecasts with Google TV. So it's the, the Chromecast that has the remote and basically has an, a version of Android TV on there. I got it like on Facebook Marketplace for 25 bucks. They normally sell for like 60 new. So, you know, brand new in the box, played around with it. And once you're logged in, it starts giving you suggestions based on what you have liked in the past. So it's it's learning about me, which is kind of scary. But a couple of the suggestions that it had that I watched and actually were very good. Uh, first one was called Boss Level. It is a movie about a guy that is stuck in a time loop. So, of course, that's definitely right up my alley. Um, but it's. It's fun, it's, it's got humor to it, uh, it's got action to it, uh, stars a guy by the name of Frank Grillo, who you've probably seen in a lot of movies, he's typically yeah, in an action, action role, and he's the star of this one, but uh, there's, a, there's a lot of great people in this. You've got Naomi Watts, you've got Michelle Yeoh, you've got Ken Jeong, the list goes on and on, and then of course the big bad is played by Mel Gibson, because apparently that's what he does these days. But Without yeah, trying. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but it's it, uh, Will Sasso is also in it, and he's he's fun and hilarious. You enter the movie when he's already have been going through this time loop for a while, and he goes, this is essentially the day that I die. Let me tell you all about it. And then he narrates through the whole movie uh, as it goes forward. I don't want to say too much more because I, I highly recommend people check it out, but it's got... A great sense of humor to it. The character's got a great sense of humor about the fact that he keeps repeating this same day over and over again and can't figure out why. It's got great action sequences. All the people that are in it do a great job of interacting. It's, it's one that I highly recommend you check it out. It was just released in the uh, beginning of this month anyway, so it, it was one that was d- slated to go into the theaters, I think, in a limited run, but uh, ended up on Hulu the other movie I like uh, that I watched recently, uh, that I really liked was called Sputnik. It was released last year. It was originally supposed to be a film festival entry. Uh, the movie is from Russia and, uh, it's very Russian. You can only watch it in English subtitles. So there's no overdubbing on it. Um, the story revolves around two Russian astronauts that returned to Earth in the early eighties, so essentially the height of the Cold War. One of the astronauts apparently has brought back an alien with him, and they are trying to figure out what it is with this alien, you know, how does it work biologically, can they separate the two, etc.? And that's kind of the the premise of the movie going forward. But it's kind of an interesting horror slash psychological horror film. And uh does a really great job of recreating that kind of cold war era look and feel you know with the the cosmonauts and the the spacecraft, as well as the facility where they're trying to figure out what this alien's agenda is if it actually has one, et cetera. so uh, it's on other platforms, but Hulu was the one that I had that I didn't have to pay extra to watch it, so. If you have Hulu, it's free for that. I think it's on other platforms, but it runs like between one ninety nine and five ninety nine to watch it on other platforms.
2: And what's it called once again?
3: Sputnik. S p u t n i k. That's what I do. Those did both sound
2: great. Cool. Yeah, they uh,
3: both liked them. I liked both of them a lot.
2: Anything else you do, Jeff?
3: Uh, those are the two I wanted to talk about. So yeah, I'm all good.
2: good. All right, Andy, did you do
1: anything? Uh, I'm in the middle of the tick and I'm in the middle of the Orville uh, Okay, and, and a couple other things. I'm actually in the middle of, um, stranger things too. So I'm like way behind, I'm like in the middle of several things at once. But, I, but the one thing I actually did that was really geeky this week was, uh, I've cracked this, uh, four against darkness game. I'm still, it's supposed to be an hour for your first round, but I'm feeling particularly dumb lately. And I, I've, I, find the, uh, combat system screwy it seems like the combat system is split into three places in the book so it's, it's i'm doing a lot of flipping around to fight the monsters the layout is very poor yeah. yeah one of the first things i did was uh randomly generated uh the dungeon map just to see what it was like and i i, I could probably randomly generate dungeons for days
2: for those who aren't aware of four against darkness is what
1: it's a uh, solo role playing game. I guess not really. It, it says RPG, but it's not really role playing. It's just, it's a dungeon crawl. It's a dungeon, solo dungeon crawl that you do on uh, uh, graph paper with a pencil and a paradise. It's pretty simple setup. And uh, I'm getting my ass kicked by vermin. Vermin?
2: Like, like
1: rats? Uh, rats and some sort of weird goblin, like a goblin swarmling, whatever the hell a goblin swarmling is. Nine of the little fuckers jumped on us and they were, they were hard to beat because there were nine of them. And I've only got, yeah. you've only got a party of four. And I'm, I've gone in with a really generic party. I've got a, a warrior, a rogue, a wizard, and a cleric. I, I, I said I was going to try and go through an all rogue group at some point. I may still do that, but I suspect I'll get my ass kicked because <laughs> there is some balance to the setup of the game.
0: There are some nice, nice little design aspects to it. The layout of the book is not great though you do a lot
1: of page flipping back and forth for your rules and stuff i'm really glad to hear that because i thought i'd just gotten stupid
0: no 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 this uh in this particular case andy it merely exacerbates uh right. your stupidity so
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it's also since you're playing with yourself you've got the player and the dm rules sort of mixed together so it's yeah a little complicated. That I way, do but that, that anyway
0: whenever I play with myself. So, but uh, and Kent, stop playing with yourself.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I'm a little confused. And with what you said, you said it has the DM and the player stuff mixed together. I thought it was all a solo thing.
1: It is, but you're <laughs> you're playing. You're not just. You don't just have to learn how the players fight. You have to learn how the monsters fight and how things are set up. And yeah. There, there's a lot of stuff the DM would take care of in an RPG that you have to take care of.
2: So it's, it, it's not like split into that, like, this is the stuff you need for your players, and here's the stuff you need for dungeon mechanics. It's all just right. kind of mixed together. All mixed together, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Are you enjoying it so far?
1: I, I am. I, I I'll, I'll enjoy it more when I get the combat system worked out. I, I still, I'm still not sure about how the fence works. I'm trying to out if they have to roll over or roll under, and then just probably pull 4K aside at some point, and have him uh enlighten me on what I'm screwing up. It's all roll over: you're fighting a monster's level three and you've got uh, a plus two because you've got armor and you've got a shield. does it have to roll over a five to hit you? or roll over it doesn't
0: a... roll you roll to right. defend Why? so right. you Why? roll the D6, add your two, and if you roll its level or over, you have dodged its attack. okay, so i'm not
1: adding I'm not like adding armor class. I'm adding to the roll. okay, that yeah. makes it simpler. And don't forget
0: uh, when you're attacking, sixes explode, and ones are always a miss. I forgot that my first dungeon run.
1: I'll see. Now ones are always a miss. I kept looking for that. I thought I saw that, but I couldn't find it.
0: Yeah, that. Well, once again, this guy's very creative and made a nice system, but he uh, he needs a little layout
1: help. Yeah. Yeah. So I did. I've only had that uh, six exploding thing help me once. The uh, goblins were kicking their ass. And the magic user of all people got, got to roll a six and got to roll on top of that. So he took out half the goblins by himself.
0: With yeah. A pocket
1: knife. There are three
0: classes of monsters. There's the boss, which you can guess is what you go up against and really kicks your butt. There are minions. Minions can still hurt you, but they're easier to kill en masse. And then there are vermin. Mm-hmm. And essentially, you gain XP. You do what is called an XP roll for one of your characters whenever you kill a boss. And you get an XP roll for one of your characters when you go through 10 waves of minions. Vermin, you don't get any XP for. And vermin can show up a lot. An annoying amount of time. It can be very, very. In fact, I have yet to do a minion-based XP roll. All my XP rolls are based on beating
1: bosses. Gotcha. Uh, but it's it's uh like I say, I got picked up for like thirteen bucks at Amazon or something, and uh, it's a fun little game for what it is. It's, it's definitely worth a fourteen, a thirteen bucks or whatever.
0: It's yeah. fun. They have uh, four against Mars, which is a oh. sword and planet version of it. Todd, they have four against. What do they call it? Four, I think it's four against Cthulhu. Nineteen thirties Cthulhu based uh, random generated encounter thing. Nice. So they're branching I have, out.
2: I have forty against K, but that's that's a whole different creature. Mm. Speaking of, I did a bit of hobby work this week, still working on the uh, commission uh doing a lot of stuff with uh object source lighting in these miniatures and I haven't done a lot with that in the past uh the whole idea of this board game uh it's called uh, tainted Grail and it Whoa. takes place thank thank you, thank you and it takes place in a alternate grim, dark avalon where it, it mixes kind of the never-ending story with the Arthurian legend, that there's this kind of weird darkness that's crawling over the land, and the only thing keeping it at bay are these giant statues called menhirs, and they have a supernatural light, and if that light goes out, the weird darkness takes over, and it's your job as the it's a co-op game that you and your party go out and figure out how to relight, find these men here's and beat back this darkness. Nice. Um, And so I'm painting these, these fantastic grim, dark statues. They're really tall for miniatures, but the only light that they give off are from these candles that uh, are like lining the bottom of it or in just nooks and crevices. So I'm trying to create this whole dark statue and this whole, this, spouting of a light but from a very very small source and it's it's turning out really neat so far wow cool and one, one thing i love about doing this commission stuff is that I, I work on projects and ideas that i i wouldn't be doing on my own sure. like, i wouldn't be painting this game if i wasn't hired to do it and now i'm like well wow, this is really a cool game and i honestly wouldn't mind playing it
1: are there many years you have to paint
2: yeah the game comes with a three uh, but when you start the game, you only have one.
1: Mm-hmm. Are they, are they traditional, like, like, uh, druidic menhirs, or just big standing stones, or are they intricately carved, or?
2: No, they're intricately carved, they, they look like the uh, personification of death, each one of them. It's wonderfully disturbing.
0: Is there a, a big fat gall who, uh, runs around, uh, selling the minhirs? Right. Uh, That's an asterisk joke. Yes. I got it. Is Is it?
4: I didn't yeah. get it. Asterisk
0: yeah. <laughs> and obelisk. Obelisk is a Minhir salesman. Yeah.
1: And he's often, often depicted carrying a here around. Yeah, on his back, making
2: mm. a delivery. Wow. Yeah, these Minhirs are probably about 40 feet tall.
1: Oh,
0: my Ice. God. Th- this would be such a great crossover.
2: <laughs> 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 and I'm still inspired by you, Kay, and, and your... Oh reintroducing me to foreign television so i, I just went out a tear. tear this week uh, i finished kakuguri which is that compulsive gambler show i talked about last week so see last week's show if you want to know more about it uh second uh, season i didn't think was as strong as the first but still very very enjoyable uh it still had a lot of those uh gambling puzzles where the compulsive gambler is in this in the school and the school is based on a tier of the the best gamblers are those that are ahead of student council and they run the school and everybody else is beneath them to the point of calling some of them animals if they go into debt. It's it's a satire on capitalism. But what really makes a show fun are when the compulsive gambler goes against one of these members on a game, the council member is always cheating in some way, and the compulsive gambler who's fighting against them realizes they're cheating figures out how the cheat works, and then restructures the game into a new cheat where it makes it equal for both of them because she absolutely loves to gamble and she doesn't want to cheat to win. She wants it to be a fair fight because gambling is what's fun for her. It's an outsmarting game puzzle every time, and it's fun. Uh, But I didn't think the games were as strong as the first season was. So from there, I went over to HBO Max and I watched 30 Coins. It is from HBO Europe. Uh, it's made in Spain. It takes place in Spain.
1: Does
0: it um, fall
2: mainly on the plane? Uh, say that once again, Nanny.
1: Does, does it fall mainly on the plane?
2: Oh, I'm glad. Uh, I that
1: it wasn't worth it.
2: <laughs> you
1: can edit that out.
2: Eh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. That's, that, that's, that's, make, that's, that's, that's fine. Makes, I would never edit out your joke unless you asked me to.
1: Right. If it makes me look stupid, it stays in.
2: Sure, one way or another. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 30 Coins is a very, very interesting horror mystery show. The best way I could describe it is if H.P. Lovecraft was a modern writer and a heavy practicing Catholic got drunk, and binged a few seasons of Fringe and decided to write a Dan Brown novel.
1: Good okay. Lord. That's an amazing description.
2: There's there's points of it, where it drags, uh, but not often. But if you like Catholic horror, which I very much do, and something you don't hear very much together, Catholic Lovecraftian horror. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah it It's yeah. there for you. And if you want a hint of that dan Brown slash Indiana Jones style ancient mystery conspiracy thing, uh, I, I recommend giving it a go. It's all in Spanish, so uh, you have to use subtitles to watch it, but it's only eight episodes. and so and very worthwhile your time if that kind of thing is in- interesting to you. if if uh, none of that appeals to you, it's not going to work for you either. it's it's well shot, well acted it's got kind of a weird aspect to it that didn't really gel with me. Like it's all modern television storytelling. It's something you'd expect to find on HBO, but some of the interpersonal relationships belong in like TV shows from the nineties has more of that feel. Like there's a, there's, there are times in this show where everyone's adults, but I felt like I was watching an episode of uh, early season Buffy in moments. Wow. Okay. Uh, there's a, a soap opera aspect to it that doesn't quite gel with the other part of it, uh, but it wasn't enough to put me off the project.
1: All right. I mean, when you were describing it, it wasn't necessarily that I wanted to watch the show, but that I, all the elements you said, it's like, I know exactly what that is. I, I had to completely understand that. But uh, now, now I'm wondering, but it's Spanish, not Mexican. So we're not talking about talking guy in a bee costume uh, drama. We're talking about this over-the-top drama.
2: It is the first time I have ever seen an incarnation of Narla Thotep put on screen. Wow. Yeah, for those uh, deep love craftian lovers out there. And it was it, it was wonderful to see. I like the way you pronounce that, too. It's probably the proper way. Who knows? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, sure I've people... never figured out for sure how... Well, imagine. I, mean... I have not figured out how to pronounce a name. I mean, you? Sounds... No.
1: That sounds like uh, 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 an Egyptian name, which it should. Mostly I hear people kind of spit it out as one. Ah,
2: yeah. And again, I have no real clue. So 30 Coins, highly recommend it if you're into the horror thing. It's worthwhile. But again, it's subtitled, so your mileage may vary with that. Uh, But I wasn't done. I I went on to watch Psychokinesis after that. Psychokinesis is directed by the same guy that directed Train to Busan, so South Korean picture. Kind of a smaller superhero film where you have uh, not world-changing stakes, but just neighborhood-changing stakes. And it was charming. I don't think it was anything great, but it it was entertaining for what it was. Villains are a bit cartoony, but the superhero stuff, very well done. Uh, about basically a schlub, deadbeat dad, middle-aged, not going anywhere with his life, accidentally ingesting some meteor juice and gaining psychokinesis, which of course is the power to control things with your mind, mm. and using it's it mind to... bullets, Kyle, right? <laughs> and and using it to stop a large construction corporation that is trying to evict squatters out of a a group of small commercial restaurants.
1: Wow! So they can't face up to the facts.
2: Yes. Tense and you.
1: nervous, can't relax.
2: No, nope, indeed. So that's on Netflix. So easy, easy to find. Again, nothing life shattering. Like, oh my god, you got to see it. But it is entertaining. Now the one that really got me, because at that point I wasn't done. I still was inspired fully by the commander. Because yeah. then I went on to watch or start watching Dark. On Netflix, oh, Dark is a German television show. Yeah, it's like Twin Peaks without the whimsy and a lot of odd time travel. Hmm. And as the name implies, it's dark. The the, the <laughs> show there 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 is no comic comedy relief in this show whatsoever. But the puzzle of this show is super well done. It it has kind of some of that lost mystery box uh, at its core but the puzzle is so engaging in a time travel level how long is it they have three seasons of it Uh, each season's 10 episodes but of, of all the ones i've watched this is the one that's been the most intriguing because it is a good mystery and like jeff i really really love time travel shows and this one is a time travel show, not to the extent of Primer, which is the most complicated time travel show I've ever seen, uh, but this show has that kind of level of time travel and interconnectedness to it nice and and it keeps introducing new things. The first season ends on a fantastic cliffhanger, and I, so I've already started season two, and it the it just the mystery blows open even wider at the beginning of it. So it's not like season two, and then we're going to just ramp everything down from there. No, no, they just turn it right up. So intriguing, interesting, good characters. Uh, One thing I love about the characters in this show is that everybody is so darned human. There ain't no good guys. There ain't no bad guys. Just you and me, and we just disagree. It's fantastic. (laughs) So now... Unlike the other ones, though, if you want to watch Dark, they do have an English dub version. I'm watching the German version with the subtitles. But if you want the English dub, that is available to you. But like Kay, I can't do that. The, the mismatching of the mouth versus the I, words. Oh distraction. Right. The I'm trying
1: to imagine that, Well, I guess I, I guess I don't have to. I was going to say I was trying to imagine a, a good German angry rant with English words on there. But we've all seen that Hitler clip.
0: <laughs>
1: now, I, I have to ask, Todd, how quickly do the subtitles
3: go by on this one? Because that was one of my gripes. Or I would say that's the only gripe I had with Sputnik is that because the subtitles went by pretty quickly, I had to rewind it several times to kind of catch with the dialogue because occasionally I can be a slow reader when it comes to uh, subtitles, especially if they keep flashing them real quick at you.
2: I'm so used to, I I watch most shows with subtitles on, whether they're in English or otherwise. So I'm so used to watching shows with subtitles, I really can't tell you how quick these are because I I don't even think about it anymore. The only time I remember seeing an issue with quick subtitles is occasionally there'll be a quick shot of like a sign on a wall or a (laughs) note that somebody wrote out and that might be so quick that that because of the cut, the translation at the bottom doesn't last very long. But as far I, as okay. what they're saying, I, I haven't had a problem with it. But as as these things go, your mileage may vary.
1: Right. I watch with the subtitles on too, and I'm finding that some of the uh, the more weird cut rate, uh, you know, your tubies and your Voodoos and stuff, um, and I'm I'm not, you know, will have sort of janky captions. The captions are accurate, but not. Place in a place that's good, and I Tubi and Voodoo, I just said good with two names I could think of. I, I don't know for sure if those are ones that have janky captions, but you know, some of those not not your Amazon Prime and not your uh, not your Netflix. Those there's have their captions pretty well sorted
2: out, but you know who doesn't? Surprisingly, CBS All Access. Maybe they <laughs> fixed it when they've gone to Paramount Plus. But mm-hmm. when I was watching Discovery, there were episodes I had to sh- just shut off because they did not match whatsoever. I would see a line of dialogue like a full person before they would start speaking. It it was so mismatched that it was gross. But again, the CBS All Access, I was using the application on the PlayStation 4, and that was its own mess. So I don't know how much of that is just the CBS All Access itself or just that it's that app is terrible. So it could be that. Who knows? But that was unwatchable. Mm. With subtitles so again. Thank you, Kay, because I would not have gone on this journey without you uh, bringing me in with uh, Allison and Borderlands. So,
0: if 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 I can inspire the kids of today, <laughs> <laughs> I can die a happy man. So basically, if I inspire anybody but Andy,
4: so Professor Biggs, what did you do this week? I actually just binged. Uh, all three seasons of Mr. Mercedes. Ah! Yeah. Uh, it's available on Peacock for free. Uh, and actually, it has no commercials. Yeah. Apparently, the older stuff or stuff that they've imported from other channels uh, that don't necessarily have uh, commercials. But but as I just kind of alluded to, my favorite thing is Brendan Gleeson's previously on Mr. Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> it tickled me every time, all weekend. I was watching my brand new Criterion collection of "The Uninvited," the old nineteen forty-four uh, Ray Milland, uh, Olivia Hussey haunted house movie. Olivia uh, Hussey. No, anyway, hang on, 1934? hang on. Hang on. Hold That's on. It's like a.
0: It's not even a sperm and a and an egg.
4: Hold it. Uh, Ruth Hussey. I'm sorry. Ruth Hussey. <laughs> <laughs> who? who <laughs> yeah. Jewish it was time traveling. Well, I- exactly. And and let me tell you, Ruth Hussey is also in the Philadelphia story. And I made this comment the last time I watched the Philadelphia story. That woman should have been a lot more famous than she actually is. She's really good. And in this, she's just, she's kind of, you know, borderline goofy. It, it's a great, if you've never seen it, I mean, again, I was looking for it on streaming and it, and it was wasn't there, so I just... You know, and and criterion was having a sale so i was like oh shoot i'll get it it's great it's it's a real it's kind of like the original the haunting it's not over the top at all it really the ghost story aspects of it just kind of comes sliding into the sliding into the movie and it's also not nearly as sort of psychologically devastating as as the haunting it's a little bit more on the romantic side and and i don't mean love story romantic i mean in that Oh, ghosts, they're nothing like, to be feared, maybe, except the young girl keeps wanting to run off the cliff. But besides that...
2: <laughs> gothic ro- gothic
4: romance. Exactly, exactly. When lemmings
1: were sexy.
4: Yeah, anyway, <laughs> it's really good. If you ever get a chance to see uh, The Uninvited, and again, it's the 1944, I think they did a remake. Uh, I know that there is a more recent movie called The Uninvited. I'm not sure if it has any connection to to this at all. But the 1944... Thumbs up. Um, you were talking about uh, janky time travel movies, and I just checked it's still available, and I've mentioned it before, but it's still available on Amazon Prime. Uh, if you ever get a chance, it's a sh- it's short, too. It's, I think it's less than an hour and a half. It's a short movie called The History of Time Travel, and it's done like a documentary, but time travel's occurring while they're shooting the documentary. And so as they keep talking about different aspects of it, the movie changes, like the aspect ratio changes, some of the background props change. Oh and they, shit, brilliant. It's low budget, but it's really, really well done. It's, 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 I think it's, it's not nearly as complicated as primer, but it, it works kind of like the same kind of head trip as uh, primer. I recommend it. It's available for free on uh, Amazon prime. And like I say, it's, it's relatively short too. It's a lot of fun. Um, and then I, I watched this this independent film uh, that they're showing on HBO Max. It's uh, some sort of director's vision. He wanted to complete it. It's called Zack Snyder's Justice League. I don't know if you've heard of this.
2: I've, um, I've, I've heard <laughs> there's some rumblings online about some kind of cut.
4: Yeah. It, yeah. It,
2: isn't it
0: uh, one of those movies Jake hates? Sure. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I don't know if... Uh, I, how many of you guys have seen it? The four-hour cut? I,
3: I think Man. I'm the only one.
2: <laughs> I've seen it as well.
4: Oh, okay, yeah. cool. So my capsule review is... It's it's tons better than the, than the Whedon cut. Still doesn't make it great. Still doesn't make it good. <laughs> There's but it a does a lot make of sick. exposition. Yeah, there it. Good lord! On all my Superman homepage Facebook pages, on the Superman, it, people just raving about it. And actually, some friends of mine who are more casual comic book fans are just raving. And I'm like, I, you didn't think it was like bloated and like it, you could easily take. Somewhere between a half hour and an hour out of it, and it would still be basically the same movie with the same story. Yeah, it's it's no. just Jesus Christ! How much more slow motion are we going to do in this thing? Honest to God, that that to me is Zack Snyder's big failing crutch. Is is his crutch on slow motion? It it works great for those flash scenes where he's running so fast that you do kind of want to see things from his point of view and everything. And that's kind of about it. Mm. (laughs) Or maybe to see the one shot of the bullet kind of flashing by and people dodging it, right? That's where it's useful. But not for every fucking fight scene or flashback scene or it's it's too much. And people, they're just raving about it. And I'm like, God, you really don't see how big a crutch that is? The the cyborg stuff, the fleshing out of that character, yeah, that stuff is great. The the expanded stuff with the flash is great. All the character driven moments work so much better in this movie than than the Whedon cut. But it's still not great, and I still and Zack Snyder now wants to do a black and white version of it, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, is there any bigger indication of why I don't want this guy anywhere near? the DC I, universe.
3: I feel like it's become an obsession with him. Like now that he got the go ahead, it's like, it's like, he feels like this is his magnum opus and he has to just, you know, go all out. It's, it's almost like Lucas when he was doing the going yeah. back and, and remastering the, the first star Wars he filmed. he felt like he says he never felt like the film was complete. I'm like, <laughs> right. but, no art is ever complete. You either yes. exhibit it as is and people like it, or you leave it alone. Yeah. But once you've gotten the status and the money to do so, people like to go in and alter things, change things. I go, and the biggest problem is you're not the same person when you go back and revisit it that you were when right. you originally created it. So,
4: right. I forget which. I forget. I think I'm pretty sure it was a filmmaker. It might have been Hitchcock, but somebody. Uh, had the comment um, art is never finished. It's just abandoned.
0: That was a French director who said that. And I think he was quoting uh, an artist, but yeah, yeah it, it's, it's very true. It it really is. You just, you just, you're done. You put it out there. I mean, yeah. I actually, I don't mind the tinkering. Like even with Lucas, the thing I didn't like about Lucas was that he would tinker and try to suppress the previous incarnations yeah
4: that's the thing i'm opposed to is i like yeah. quit
0: quit trying to suppress stuff
4: you know yeah that's why i like the um it's not the most recent version but back in the mid-aughts uh spielberg released like three different versions of close encounters and so you had the original cut you had the special cut and then you had his final director's cut (laughs) and that and that was fun to watch it was fun to to watch each incarnation of it because i'm a huge fan of that totally agree but i I, it's in fact that's one of the reasons why i like it
0: is you can almost you can almost get some insight into the artist right by looking at the changes they choose to make and what they choose to alter but, but Lucas was trying, you know, his attempt to suppress, like, the original theatrical release of Star Wars. It's like, dude, what? Stop right. that. Now, Steve, if you're really, you're, you're going to hate this, this nugget because uh, you, you don't want Snyder in, anymore in DC. Because not only does he want to do a black and white version, but he also wants to do a, uh, a Justice League version In German. (laughs) God
4: damn it.
2: Did I lure you in? No. (laughs) I'm over here shaking my head.
4: (laughs) The the rebirth of Ubermensch. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Now
1: I'm even more curious because I've seen a wide variety of takes on this thing including our friend, the famous Paul, who seemed to like it. And he, he hates everything.
2: If you can get a hold of it, I recommend checking it out. If nothing else is a curiosity, because yeah. it is a completely different movie. Yeah. And yeah. agreed. It's a much better movie. I think yeah. I liked I it better than Steve. Uh, I still think, I, I think it's only better than the third worst Marvel film. So, <laughs> it, so it, that's, Marvel. as far as the Pantheon, it is better than Thor, the dark world. Um, <laughs> Uh, But, but yeah, the letting the characters breathe a little more, giving the, the biggest problem I had with the original one is that we had a big bad guy that we didn't know any purpose as why he's just a bad guy. Now we have motivation. We have his superior. And yes, the, some of the fight scenes are suffer from some bloat. There's no doubt about it. (laughs) Uh, And of course the ending really suffers from some bloat. Yeah.
1: We got but, a uh, return of the king ending?
2: Uh, yeah. yeah, you're right. It has three different endings, literally. Yeah.
4: Wow. And an epilogue. <laughs> well, that, the epilogue is what we're talking about. The epilogue oh, is he... three different endings. <laughs> yeah, but it had like it had like a couple of endings before you got to the epilogue.
2: <laughs> well, 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 this is this yeah. is what happened. He he didn't put the stingers after the the credits. He put the stingers before the credits.
4: Yeah. Just uh... one after
2: the other, and then gave you a full unedited credit. So. Ow. It e- kind of equals out, except the <laughs> except the first thing never, was really long
4: through the credits. <laughs> yeah, I, and and yeah, and I will say this: Warner Brothers has said this movie is not canon. But the one thing I did appreciate about it is nothing in this movie negates any of the movies that came after. Mm-hmm. Nothing in it negates Wonder Woman. Nothing in it negates Aquaman, and you know, of course, it never even touched Am. And the threads that they left dangling, if somebody in the future wanted to pick those threads up and do something with them, with the probable exception of the nightmare. But if they wanted to I don't know, should I spoil um No, don't your, spoil anything yet. Okay. Okay. There are a couple of reveals and I was just like, Oh, okay, yeah, I would like I would actually like to see more of that. If they wanted to do that, that would be that would be awesome, actually. And I will say this for Zack Snyder. He casts well. I really do appreciate all the people that he cast in the roles of the major Justice League characters. Yeah. I, I, I even like Ezra Miller. And I know a lot of people are like, uh, he's so... Blah blah. And I was like, you know, it's a different take on it. And he's really good at it. Yeah, as long, long as he doesn't I, keep I, choking I, his fans, he'll be fine.
2: <laughs> I think I got this phrase from you, Steve. I, I I don't I don't know if you're the one that coined it or not, but I think I heard it from you. And that is the difference between Marvel and DC is that Marvel is humans learning to be gods and DC is God's learning to be human. The thing with Ezra Miller is that he's the, the only human learning to be a God in this whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And And I think that's why I enjoy his presence in it. And as much as Joss Whedon tried to put a lot of lightness and his style of humor into it, it just clashed in that first version, and that's gone here. But it's not that the show isn't light. This right. is this is probably the lightest of mm-hmm. all the Snyder-versed movies thus far. Not that it's light, but in the tone is lighter.
4: Yeah, that's the other thing, because, I, you know, again, not that I need to defend Joss Whedon or anything, but I was really happy to see that a lot of the quote-unquote snarky Joss Whedon lines we're actually snarky Chris Terrio lines, and they're still in there. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: I do say, even though the the ending does have that bloat, it's still a better ending than yeah. the original. Everything yeah. about this movie is better than that first one. Yeah. So if you saw Justice League and you're like, ah, "That wasn't very good," uh, if and you I got did. four four hours, give this one a shot. Yeah. Now,
0: guys. Guys, uh, be honest here. Um, which, which is the better portrayal of feminism, Whedon or Snyder?
4: A lot of people are pointing to, uh, and I, I tend to agree, a lot of people are pointing to the Snyder cut kind of restores Diana to being a warrior princess. Uh, type of thing. Um, And I was just reading an article about this earlier, somebody kind of saying the same thing. Um, And and it's pretty clear that if she hadn't been distracted by parademons, she probably could have taken on Steppenwolf uh, all by herself. The fact that Superman comes in and just kind of... (laughs) You know, again, more or less like in the Whedon cut, you know, the the advent of Superman into the picture just throws the whole. It's like, okay, good. (laughs) Okay, we are going to be able to clean
2: this. (laughs) Yeah. Someone pressed the Superman button. So the problem is solved.
4: Yeah. 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 But but it's pretty it's pretty clear that that Wonder Woman, if it had been a, a one on one of Wonder Woman and Steppenwolf, she probably could have taken the guy. So. so somebody said
1: this could be sort of watched in a little half hour. It's like a little half hour chapters, kind of.
4: Yeah, yeah. It's broken yeah. up into okay. chapters. So, and, okay. and a friend of mine, that's how he watched it. And I'm pretty sure that's why he thinks it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, because sure he that, didn't sit so through four hours of, Jesus Christ, another fucking slow motion shot? God damn it. Because isn't it? I, I'm,
3: I'm trying to remember. <laughs> was, was it prologue, six chapters, and then epilogue, if, I, if,
2: if I'm not no, mistaken? No, it,
4: it's, it's six chapters and epilogue.
2: Okay. I never asked for this cut, but I'm so glad we got it.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah,
2: And for no other reason, I always love when we get very, I mean, you, we get director's cuts every now and then, but they rarely affect the story that much. If you're lucky, you might get a half hour's worth of extra footage of character work Mm -hmm. worked in. uh, And that's about it. If you're super lucky once in a while, like with exorcist Legion, you know, you, you get this, complete reworking and that's yeah. what this is and so you do get the two views and it's so obvious so obvious that with the original Justice League cut even though a lot of people put it on Joss Whedon it's obvious that that movie was broken by the people who was telling Joss Whedon what to do
4: exactly too, uh, many, cooks in the, too many cooks in the kitchen that, that's, that's been my view from the beginning is and especially once you see the Snyder cut, there's really only one or two full scenes that that Whedon shot the the Wonder Woman Batman were you know, they're comparing, you know, bruises kind of comes to mind. But the rest of it is you can tell is Whedon slash Warner Brothers taking what Snyder shot, cutting it up as best they could and going, OK, if we cut that out, we need a scene here between somebody and somebody. Explaining the plot How about Wonder Woman and Batman Sure, whatever you want to do <laughs> give, them, yeah. give them some snarky one-liners That uh, people will complain about uh, Do do that <laughs> And the other thing is I was sitting there thinking Like the, the farmhouse scene It seems pretty obvious to me Without having done a recent rewatch That that's almost entirely Snyder's shot And so the people that were laughing about Henry Cavill's upper lip in that scene are like, that's just his upper lip. (laughs) 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 There's no CGI there. That's just, you know... Uh, So you guys are looking for fault in places where it just doesn't exist. It's not every single shot that they had to do a CGI mustache. There's a lot of original slander footage in that Whedon cut that's obviously not CGI mustache removal. So...
0: I so hope at some point in the future, as a gag, when they start doing multiverse, you know, different characters from multiverses, somebody has the balls to have Cavill grow a mustache <laughs> and to put him in a Superman costume for a cameo.
4: Yeah. i just
0: what, so What universe are you
4: from? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Am I, am I two universe? Am I three? Uh, what was it? Am I... Fuck, which, which Mission Impossible was it? Ghost <laughs> I, I do Ghost know. I think
4: six Fallout. I'm from the Fallout universe. Yeah. There you <laughs> go. Which is its own loaded thing. Yeah. And I'll take this opportunity now just because I, I do want to bring it up. You know, somebody's getting on me about, well, you just don't like go. No, I love alternate takes. I love Elseworlds' story. But this is not an alternate take. This is supposed to be the mainstream warner brothers releases of these characters it's not in you know it's not in elseworlds and i said and here's my other thing i think that Zack snyder is a talented visual filmmaker but i just don't think his cynicism works for these characters i think you know if we could turn back time a little i think Zack snyder's version of the wild cards universe would be fantastic
2: i see what you're doing steve
4: and so I take this opportunity now, because I already did it on the page, to apologize to Mr. Todd Bristow <laughs> for um, giving him shit about uh, not not uh, having a glowing review of Wild Cards. First time, uh, apparently uh, he was the one that suggested it for the for the book club. <laughs> Although we didn't actually it didn't actually get voted up. Uh, right. I think you just read it on your own. But right. yeah, I love I love the Wild Cards universe. I it, it's equal parts full on superhero, plus also some body horror horror aspects. It gets pretty cosmic uh, once you finally once you really get into the series and everything. And they and they re- and so the novels were all there. The first run was like the late '80s and into the early '90s, and then it kind of lay fallow for a while. But they started them up again in the again in the mid aughts
2: Right. And they are short story collections. And so yeah. not every writer is going to knock it out of the park. So <laughs> exactly. So with that first book and I assume subsequent books, there are some stories that are great and that is still stuck with me. And a few that I've completely forgotten about because they just weren't that memorable. Yeah. But that's every short story collection.
4: Yeah. For instance, in that first one, the image that just still freaks me out every time I think about it is when the virus hits, one of the characters is walking down the street and sees his neighbor just kind of dissolve right in front of his face. And the, and the last thing he sees is the guy's lips still kind of moving in the eyeballs as they go down the drain into the (laughs) sewer. I'm just like, God dang, that's, that's gruesome. (laughs) I'm glad someone's
2: turning it into a show. It deserves it.
4: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah.
0: Isn't wild cards, uh, from a uh, tabletop RPG that George R. R. Martin ran for his, uh, his group that included um, various sci-fi luminaries like Roger Zelazny. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. yeah. And Melinda Snodgrass, and uh, I wish I could pull the books off, but they're still in storage. Yeah, uh, it was, I think, Champions? Yeah. was the one he was running? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Champions is a fun system. I could see that being uh,
1: long, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think I've mentioned this before, but the the every time somebody mentions champions, the only thing that really sticks in my head is a friend of mine that created the character Fruit Master, whose superpower <laughs> was summoning fruit from the elemental
4: plane of fruit. <laughs> okay, I, I'm I'm still proud of the fact that Jim Lee gave me shit for for my uh, character's name, in that uh, when West End Games had their version of the DC thing, and Jim Lee was sitting right next to me. He goes, what's your character? I go, Bob Johnson. He goes, Bob Johnson. He goes, no, it's got to be like Bob Bronson or something. I get that alliteration. I was like, it's in the vowel sounds. ba ba ba. <laughs> it's the, it's the assonance of the vowels. He's like,
0: okay. <laughs> uh, the making an assonance of yourself.
4: Indeed. <laughs> <Sure.
0: Wow>.
4: <laughs> <Ow>. <laughs> was it though? <laughs> <No>, really? <laughs>
2: I do find it fun, though. I I do find it fun how many uh, fantasy and sci-fi series are out there that were inspired by personal role-playing games. Yeah. Uh, Dragonlance, Wild Cards, The Expanse, uh, (laughs) even our own J.R. Conkle, Citadel of the Fallen. uh, That novel is based on RPG sessions.
1: What was The Expanse based on?
2: I can't remember. I, that's it was the it was the uh, the two writers because it's two writers that are working as one author name that wrote it, and it was their game that it was inspiring by. Oh,
1: okay. Daniel
0: Cam, so and uh, some other guy.
1: So it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a uh, it wasn't a role playing system that everyone was using. It was their homebrew.
0: Uh, by the way, Steve, you'll be interested to know that uh, Wild Cards came from a Super World role-playing game, which is a Chaosium.
4: Yes, that makes sense. Got a, I love that system. I, I love the, I, I forget what they call it. It's actually got a, uh, Chaosium actually is given it a name because they use Basic the same role- system. What's that? Basic, Basic role-playing. Playing. Yeah. yeah, BRP.
2: Those are the people that brought us the HP Lovecraft, the uh, Call of Cthulhu game, right?
4: Yeah, yeah. yeah, Call yeah
0: Cthulhu yeah. is basically the uh, originator of basic role playing. Yeah. Okay. That's it's it's uh i um, uh they're generifying, making generic the uh, Call of Cthulhu type of rules. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Look at it's that. It's just it's that so elegant, good. and it, it's elegant and allows for everything, <laughs> allows for <laughs> any any kind of. World, you want to put those you know, characters or like very anything. GURPSian? Yeah, does, it, pre- yeah, does
2: yeah. it predate GURPS?
4: I think it does. Eighty-one. Yeah,
2: that mm-hmm. sounds like it.
4: Eighty-three.
2: Yeah. Eighty-three. Eighty-three is a super world. Okay. Yeah, that I'm not but I sure. Think if Call of
4: Cthulhu enough. came out in eighty-one. There, there you go.
2: Well, well, how about you, Kay? What do you do this? You do this week?
0: Oh, geez, I'm I'm kind of boring. <laughs> I actually watched Death Wish. The original? So, yeah. I. Uh, wow. This happens to me often. I'm like cruising YouTube and it'll throw up somebody who excerpted a scene from a movie. And so I was like bopping around and this thing of, uh, of uh, Charles Bronson putting it to some guys in uh, a subway car. I was like, I wonder if Death Wish is uh, streaming. And it's the only one of the four movies that's actually streaming for free on Amazon. Huh. So I actually punched it up and watched it. And boy, oh boy, does time change things. Because yeah. that movie, no mistake, it's a De Laurentiis joint, joint, right? right? So it's firmly ensconced in that B-movie territory. So don't <laughs> Don't don't take my praise as, as anything going overboard. But it actually was a little more layered than I remembered. They actually work Bronson being in love with his wife's character a lot more. And then when the attack happens with a, uh, a whacked out Jeff Goldblum wearing a Jughead hat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've forgotten Jeff Goldblum was in that. Holy crap. <clears throat>
0: Yeah, he's one of the the freaks as they're called in the credits. That is uh 70s raw. Bronson actually has a couple little moments in there that are pretty good. He is not ice cold and just goes on the merciless killing spree right away. The movie actually traces him slowly breaking down and and getting into vigilantism and the first time he actually kills someone, he actually has uh, a hell of a, a hell of a look on his face when he does it. Very un-Charles Bronson like. And so I was pretty impressed with that. And then I totally forgot the angle where the police with the inspector being played by the uh, great character actor Vincent Gardinia, which most people will not know his name. But anybody who's watched a couple of 70s movies and TV shows will recognize him. And especially recognize his voice. He's trying to find the vigilante until the district attorney and the commissioner are like, we don't want him arrested because we don't want a martyr. We want him out of town. So find him, scare him off and get him out of town. So then there's this section of this movie where Vincent Gardenia is trying to find out who it is. He suspects Charles Bronson and then he tries to scare him. And then Bronson is, like, eluding the police to go out and continue going on murder sprees, which have a couple of 70s actors that you eventually will recognize. Um, and in the end, Gardenia actually gets him in the hospital and talks him into leaving town, which has a memorable moment of him going to Chicago, meeting someone at the airport, seeing some Chicago hoodlums and giving him the smile and the little finger gun as the final image. Mm-hmm. Um, it was funny because it's like, wow, this this is not like popular culture portrays it in terms of something violent happens, and then the guy just goes on a killing spree, and he's a cold-blooded whatever.
2: You need Death Wish 4 for that
0: one. Yeah, and it's it's funny because, you know, what was it? Death Wish 3, I think, is where he uses a rocket-propelled grenade. <laughs> At one point. So, Rambo, uh, huh? Yeah. I mean, you know, and of course, it goes, the sequels go through the escalation. But I was just like, huh, it was weird. One thing I'll say the score is terrible. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. First of all, it's so loud. Maybe it was just the way they remastered the sound, but the score was just obnoxiously loud. And the use of woodwinds and strings. To create this upper middle class angst mm-hmm. that he's going through as he as he slowly begins to become a killer was just like, good golly molly, that was
1: well, uh, successfully uh, interested me because I uh, when well, you said you were after Deathwatch, I'm like Jesus, why? But it sounds pretty interesting.
0: And it's just like I mean, it's like it's like First Blood, right? First Blood. Is nothing like the Rambo sequels to the point where, you know, Stallone's character doesn't kill anybody in first blood and he only shoots actually physically shoots one person. In the rest of the movies, you know, you get your death toll that just starts to spiral out of control. And it, it's funny how the escalation of the sequels begins to define The original movie so that what they were doing what their intention was was kind of lost because they actually try to make a little bit of a comment this is 1974 so they're making a comment on urban decay they're making a comment on uh, crime in the streets this is back when new york was still you know everybody dreaded new york before the Mm -hmm. i love new york campaign and before Giuliani's hardcore mayor uh, tenure actually cleaned a lot of stuff up. And no, it's not an Oscar winner. Uh, It's not it's not even a a nominee. (laughs) It is a Dillarentis movie, but there's more to it than you totally think about because of uh, the pop culture legacy, which is something I really enjoy exploring now. Actually, I, I'm looking forward now to watching more movies that people laugh at or sneer at and yeah. then realize, you know, th- there was more to this first movie than you realize.
4: Yeah. Herbie Hancock, Hi- by the- Herbie, Herbie Hancock. Herbie Hancock did the music.
1: Yeah. Holy crap.
0: Now, Kirsten, have you seen the Bruce Willis remake? That came up and I am interested. I want to see the, uh, you know, a modern take on that.
3: As you were talking about, I, I haven't seen the first uh, Bronson Death Wish in a long time, so I don't have a lot of memory of it, but a lot of what you're describing sounds very similar to the Bruce Willis remake from a few years ago. So now I'm actually interested in, in going back and watching the, uh, the Bronson one since I have the, the Willis one more fresh in my memory.
0: Let me throw this at you. At one point to help him in uh, recovering from his wife's death, they send him to Arizona. And it's really weird because it's like, oh, now we're in Arizona for like 15 minutes. There's this one character who's portrayed as an Arizonan of the time, you know, and hey, in Arizona, we got our guns. We're not like the New York liberals. And he takes uh, Bronson's character to a gun range. And Bronson shoots a gun, hits a bullseye. The character, played by Stuart Margolin, is like, oh, Damn, that was, that's a bullseye, son. And he's like, well, Bronson then tells his story about how he was raised with guns in a hunting family when he was a kid. And then his father was killed in a hunting accident. And his mother said, no more guns, and that was the last time he had touched a gun in his life. Except for a brief time he spent in Korea, where even there, he was a conscientious objector, and didn't use guns. Man, so right are- there, you're already getting a little more character depth than you would ever expect in okay. a fucking wish
2: movie.
0: I right. don't know if there. Anything incomparable to the Bruce Willis, but that was one of the things I wanted to look at.
2: Okay. Now I'm even interested.
0: Yeah. Now, <laughs> dude, uh, it's it's weird. It's weird when you look at these things. Cause like I said, the movie is not fantastic, but it's like, holy shit, there is more to this than I ever remember. And granted, the last time I saw it was in the seventies when I was a kid. And you know, all of that is colored in hindsight by the the pop culture uh lens so
3: and and so- you were absolutely right about first blood too because i recently watched first blood the sequels are far more 80s action reagan oh, yeah. era oh, mindless yeah. mindless destruction and killing flicks than that first one that first one actually has a story to tell actually makes you sympathetic with the character it's a well told film.
0: It's a fantastic so. movie. It really it's one of Stallone's best movies. And a lot of people will argue against that maybe. I personally even think it's the best first blood, but then again, it's exactly why you just said, Jeff, cuz there's yeah. story to it, there's something to his character, there is something behind the movie.
4: We might be seeing that playing out playing out now with Wonder Woman 84. The first movie was basically, a, you know, so far as superhero movies go, was a low-budget movie, right? They, they said, okay, people seem to like Al Gadot. Uh, Patty Jenkins is a, is, a good, is a good director. Let's give her X amount of millions of dollars, but not $250 million. And, you know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't at least Warner Brothers will be able to say, hey, we got our superhero heroine movie out before Marvel. And, and then it turns out to be this big hit and everyone loves it. So I think when they got to Wonder Woman 84, again, all the cooks jumped into the kitchen because it's yeah. like, oh, we might have something here. Do this and do this and do this. Well, what about the actual story? Ah, uh-uh, Just do this and do this and do this. <laughs> but does this character make any sense? Uh, it doesn't matter. We'll fix it in post. Release sure.
2: the Jenkins cut.
4: Yeah, yeah there you go yeah exactly <laughs> yeah
2: speaking of death wish let's get on to the show and do some news you don't give a shit about
0: <laughs> oh wow
2: that's so, that's so tasty
0: gotta <laughs> <laughs> oh, be a way to mute andy <laughs> oh
2: there is there is. Or, or, or cut. There's cutting. Cutting's allowed. <laughs> News you don't give a shit about. The 1978 Star Wars Holiday Special had one bright spot. And it will be released, cut, and pasted onto Disney Plus when they release the Boba Fett introducing animated short The Story of the Faithful Wookiee. Hmm. On its own. So they're not giving us the Star Wars Holiday Special, but they're giving us that little animated section so, blessings upon your house. But that's not all.
1: I still haven't fought my way through that part of that. I've seen, I'm, I've been watching that goddamn special in bits and pieces. I still <laughs> get a few minutes into it. I'm like, fuck, I can't watch this anymore. No. So
2: it's I've true. It's, that, of... it's toward the end. Yeah. Just before the <sighs> singing. Well, the, the final song, I guess. The, the Princess Leia singing. Ah, oh. oh, yeah. It's not because it's good, it's just because it's the first (laughs) introduction of Boba Fett. The animated story is kind of terrible too, and frankly, the animation is horrible. It looks like it it belongs in a mad magazine.
0: uh, (laughs) Wasn't it done by the same people who would eventually do uh, heavy metal? Perhaps. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I I see similar uh, styles. Nelvana, uh, whatever that is. No, but man, if you've
2: never funny. seen it, which of course at this point is your fault since it's on YouTube, it is coming it. officially. So I guess a nicer version, looking version, maybe I don't know. Uh, also coming in April on Disney Plus are two infamous TV movies: 1984's *Caravan of Courage* and *Ewok Adventure*, <laughs> and 1985's *Ewok: it's The Battle of For Endor*. Oh no. Yeah, other than starring Warwick Davis, who played Wicket in Return of the Jedi, the telefilms have no connection to any sort of Star Wars lore. The, they have been disavowed as lore by uh, Lucasfilm long ago, so it's wow. interesting that they are bringing them back in, knowing that, because, again, they're not great. In fact, uh, Caravan of Courage is downright bad, but that's not all. Joining those programs will be Ewoks, the cartoon series that aired on ABC from 1985 to 1986, in which the teddy bears somehow learned English. Uh, on a right <laughs> note, the streamer is giving a second life to Genndy Tarakowski's Clone Wars, the nice. 2005 animated micro-series commissioned by Lucasfilm that aired on the Cartoon Network. Uh, the critically lauded show was set between the events of 2002's Attack of the Clones and 2005's Revenge of the Sith.
1: I thought you were watching that already. I thought that was you know, already this, somewhere.
2: This is completely different. This is a fully animated Attack of the Clones that came before the TV show. This, this animated version gave us our first look at uh, General Grievous. He was introduced in that. And directly led the company to spin off to the CGI television show that we know and love now. So that is worthwhile. That is worthwhile seeing. But uh, these other things, Caravan of <laughs> Courage and Story of the Faithful Wookie, uh, ooh, your mileage may vary. <laughs> but I guess hey, they're interesting as time capsules. Um,
0: Todd. Yes. Nelvana was offered a chance to work on heavy metal, but declined, which is weird. I thought oh. that they hacked on it. But Nelvana produced droids and Ewoks.
2: You know uh, what? That does not surprise me because the style of droids, yeah, uh, I can definitely see that coinciding. Although Ewoks, if I remember right, didn't have that kind of weird animation style to it. But I could be it, remembering it, it wrong. I barely it, remember the is show. Is
1: of the one that did the Boba Fett thing? Yes. Sure? Yeah. Okay.
3: I, ironically, the, uh, the Ewoks had more of kind of a Disney style of animation to yeah. it. <laughs> or I should say hints of Disney, which now they own it, but yeah, it was kind of funny. That that's probably what they were aiming for—a more kid-friendly animation it was, style.
1: It was sort of gummy bears. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to put it.
1: If the gummy bears were homicidal teddy bears who who uh, <laughs> killed people and stole their clothing and gave it to princesses. Oh, quit trying to sell me on it.
2: <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I can guarantee you, watch two episodes, you probably won't watch a third. It's Too bad,
0: because that gummy bears uh, as homicidal maniac sounds. Great.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a uh, Five Nights at Freddy's version of the Ewap.
0: <laughs> Andy, I thought we watched some of Gindy Tartakovsky's Clone Wars. This is
1: what he left Samurai Jack to do. No, I don't think we did. I think that must have been... Yeah, it might have been Vernon, or it might have been. Was it a long time ago? Because it could have even it been before. A
0: long
1: ass time ago. Yeah. It was very long. That was forever ago.
0: Oh, I,
3: they did rock and rule. That totally makes sense now. Novana. Yeah, that's rock and rule is almost unwatchable. It's a terribly animated film.
1: Is it that and bad? I remember. I remember the. I remember the, uh, I remember the uh, poster for it. But that's about it.
3: I will say it's 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 unwatchable as an adult, and I'll just okay. leave it at that. I guess that brings us to Weekend Geek.
4: Yay!
2: Yay! Woo-hoo! <laughs> the director of the film Promising Young Woman, uh, that would be Emerald Fennell, has signed on to write the Zatanna movie. Produced by the DC Films Division of Warner Brothers and J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot Productions, Zatanna is set to be released theatrically. Created by Gardner Fox and Murphy Anderson, Zatanna made her first comic book appearance in the pages of 1964's Hawkman Number no. 4, She's a powerful magician and a member of Justice League Dark. Emerald Fennell's Promising Young Woman recently earned five Academy Award nominations, including Best Director and Best Original Screenplay. In mm. addition, Fennel is also known for her work on the second season of BBC America's thriller Killing Eve and her appearances in series like Call the Midwife and The Crown. So that is who will be helming the Zatanna movie. Well, at least as writer. I don't know if... She's Nothing says that she's directing it, but she is writing it.
4: Okay. Uh. I haven't seen that movie yet, The Promising Young Woman, but uh, the theaters are finally reopened again here in Southern California, so it's still playing, so I probably will. Well, certainly writing that Oscar buzz.
2: Yeah.
1: You just made me look up uh, Zatara, uh, and that's actually 1938. Crazy. That's her father.
2: Yeah, yeah that's, I know. Uh,
1: that's, that, I, know. I, I, was, I was curious, because I, I didn't realize she was that early. I didn't realize she was in 64, so I me look up Satara.
2: Yeah, he's one of the Golden Age heroes, though.
1: Yeah. Very much, yeah.
4: I believe in Action Comics number one. Uh,
1: yes. Yes, he was. Yes, Action yeah. Comics one.
2: I have I'm not going to say faith, but I have hope and optimism that DC movies will be getting better mm-hmm. moving forward. Yeah, they they seem to be still making mistakes, of course, but they also seem to be learning lessons from those mistakes. Mm-hmm. And you kind of see that going forward. Wonder Woman eighty four was certainly a step backwards, but I think they kind of see that too. At least I hope they do.
3: Yeah. Well, and going back to what we said earlier about you know uh, humans learning how to be a god, uh, and that being the kind of the Flash character in in Justice League, that's almost the formula that they used in aquaman with mm-hmm. him starting you know in the in the movie he essentially was learning more about his powers his heritage etc and kind of evolving into the role that he was quote-unquote meant to play
4: yeah and shazam same thing
3: yeah exactly maybe that's why those two movies worked well <laughs> i don't yeah. know
2: well they do give yeah. you something to connect to on a human level it, yeah. It's hard to connect to Superman. he sees something to aspire to, as is Wonder Woman, so their're heights to reach, but they start at that height. The mistakes that they make are the mistakes that gods make yeah mm-hmm. they,
1: they actually they actually do a pretty good job of that, and the uh, the tick that i am watching right now, uh their Superman type character is, is is having trouble relating to to humanity uh, <laughs> it's it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a
4: fun bit it's, it's a fun bit with that character. Elliot Magan in one of his Superman novels that that wasn't a direct tie-in to the movies, even though the movie photos were on the covers. I forget which one, but in one of them, Clark Kent, has his hobby is that he uh, videotapes TV commercials. (laughs) He collects TV commercials, with the idea being that he thinks that they're pretty funny uh, examples of human beings trying to relate to other human beings in order to sell them products and stuff like that.
2: I find fine, fine examples. These,
4: these must be contemporaneous with the uh, the Donner movie. Yeah, yeah, but they but because of the Puzo clause, they they couldn't actually do novelizations of the movie scripts. So, Puzo clause. Worst worst knockoff Santa Claus ever.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> so. Hey little kid, I'm gonna make you an offer you can't refuse. I wanna shut up.
4: <laughs> so so what is
2: the Puzo clause?
4: You couldn't do a novelization of the scripts without paying Puzo money. So Warner Books uh, didn't want to do that. (laughs) So they, (laughs) so they said, uh, "Oh, I actually think there was something. If there was a novelization to be made, Puzo would have to write it. Something along those lines." Okay, I know for sure it was the money. The money was an issue. Now I had a friend who, I must have been
1: these books he's talking about. I remember reading about it and telling me weird stuff. There's some bit where Superman goes to some alien planet, and the difference between humans and these people is they don't have a, a what's that space the filtrum is that it the uh, the the notch under your nose. So he maybe he disguises himself by filling in his filtrum with putty, and it's like why is that a thing you remember from the book,
4: and why is that a right? Thing
1: I, I I don't remember it. So. And, and why is that a thing I remember years ago after him telling me that because it's so goddamn <laughs> weird. Yeah.
2: Disney Plus and Marvel Studios are currently in the early stages of developing a Hawkeye spin off series for Maya Lopez, aka Echo, played by newcomer uh, Alaka Cox. Sorry? Alaka Cox. Okay. I Just ignore know.
1: him, Todd. I'm guessing that name, but that's what it man. looks like. It's, it's, it's fine by me. Whatever you do with your Cox is fine by me.
2: I'm not judging. Uh, Oh, I see. It's, it,
4: He's being naughty. <laughs> he,
2: he isn't, and wishes he was. Um, <laughs>
1: uh, it's been so long, I don't remember who gets tied up. <sighs>
2: <laughs> Staying close to the comics depiction of the character, the show will present Lopez as a deaf Native American girl who can perfectly mimic another person's movements. Created by David Mack and Joe Casada. Echo first appeared in the pages of a Daredevil comic from the late 1990s. Currently in production, Hawkeye, the TV series, takes place after the events of Avengers Endgame. Jeremy Renner is returning to play Clint Barton, who decides to pass on his arrow-shooting mantle to a young protege, Haley Steinfeld's Kate Bishop. If the Echo project ends up moving forward, it will be one of the many MCU outings formatted for the small screen, including Loki, What If?, She... She-Hulk, Ms. Marvel, Moon Knight, Armor Wars, Secret Invasion, Ironheart, I Am Groot, and a Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special all in the works thus far. The, the television mapping is getting more ridiculous than the movie mapping. Right. And now that they're completely interlocked, it's just one big mapping, and I almost can't get my brain around it. Mm. Someone out there gets paid good money to do that, so I'll let them do that for me. Uh, I don't know Echo. But sounds like an interesting character, kind of Taskmaster-esque. The whole, see, once they, the character see something, they can recreate it.
4: Oh, yeah. I'm not a Marvel guy, so I have no idea.
2: <laughs> well, I tell you what, DC man, here's one for you. A new movie yeah. based on the character Our Man, <laughs> oh, yeah. who can attain superhuman strength but only for a limited time, has been set by Warner Brothers to be produced and- by Chernin Entertainment.
1: And same how long would
2: com- that time be? 13 <laughs> minutes, I think. The same company behind the modern-day revival of the Planet of the Apes franchise, interestingly enough. Though Our Man has shown up on TV recently on the CW Stargirl and has appeared in various incarnations in the comics over the years, it's not yet known which version DC has in mind to bring it to theaters. Mm. Uh, writers Gavin James and Neil Widener, who previously have been attached to Penn's screenplays for Amblin's adaptation of Michael Crichton's Micro, as well as New Line's upcoming San Andreas 2, will be guiding this movie. Yay! Um, created by Ken Fitch and artist Bernard Bailey, and first introduced in 1940's Adventure Comics number 48. The original Our Man was Rex Tyler, a chemist who synthesizes a supernaturally powerful substance called Miraclo. Into a pill and later transdermal form, possessing no superpowers of his own, Rex and subsequent Hourman heroes Rick Tyler, Rick's son, as well as android alias Matthew Taylor, could tap into an hour of power of mega powerful attributes and stopping speeding bullets and surviving underwater with a single dose of Miracle. The catch, at least in the original Hourman comics, is those effects wear off as Andy implied when the hour ends. On Stargirl, Rex Tyler and Rick Tyler are respectively played by Lou Ferrigno Jr. and Cameron The CW first brought Our Man into its Arrowverse in DC's Legends of Tomorrow, where he was played by Patrick J. Adams. Deadlines report notes that DC has previously considered an Our Man TV spinoff series, but so far that has not materialized. Now, Our yeah. Man is something I know absolutely nothing about. Echo and Our Man, I know, I know neither one. Back,
1: back when superpowers were weird and unexplained. Yeah, these, these powers—I mean, It's like, it's like oh, there was a, another weird-ass comic called Dial H for Hero. It was just <laughs> like, we, we don't know what we're doing. We're just we're creating a different character every, every week.
4: I mean, there was an explanation for it, just like there's an explanation for the Hourman powers. Sure. But... I, I'm wondering if they're going to go with the android Hourman uh, that came about, a, again, in the late 90s, early 2000s. I'm trying to remember if he has time travel thing along with that hour.
1: It is a character that's just odd enough that I'm I'm surprised it's actually getting made into I guess everybody's getting a shot now.
4: Well, I was wondering if if it was going to be connected to the Black Adam movie. Maybe it's an offshoot of, of that because they're bringing the Justice Society into at least some members of the Justice Society into that movie. I don't know. Not enough info yet. Indeed.
2: <laughs> this, this is really early stuff and this is all concept stage currently. It's yeah. bar- barely into development. Our man was teamed up
0: with Dr. Fate for mm-hmm. a lot of comics, which was an interesting pairing.
4: Yeah, on Stargirl instead of a pill, he just flips the hourglass and that gives him the thing because I'm guessing they don't want to promote pill popping uh, to the kids <laughs> these days. Just, no. just a hunch.
0: How silly. <laughs> How silly of them. Like kids are going to do any better with hourglasses.
3: <laughs> right. Yeah. It it was what formulated into his DNA. Right. Is that I I I'm in, trying to remember in, season one already. Yeah. I can't remember either.
4: But I believe that's correct.
3: I mean, Star Girl wasn't bad. It just wasn't. I don't know.
4: I, I actually liked it. Uh, I, I kind of liked it a lot. I, it took me a while to kind of wrap my head around. Okay, so this is the version of Justice Society that we're getting. It's still not World War Two. Right. And apparently they are bad. Yeah, and apparently I can't remember if it's, it's Star Girl or Black Adam that they're bringing the Alan Scott Green Lantern into it. Really? Yeah, and he's going to be gay, which he came out as gay in in the recent uh, comics. You know, as an old man, he came out to his kids saying, "You know, I've I've even been married a couple of times, but you know, I think I'm gay." <laughs> Joel Gray, totally totally Joel Grayed it. Yeah.
2: After filing for bankruptcy in 2017 and announcing it would close all of its U.S. stores, Toys R Us appeared to get new life under new ownership and opened a handful of stores, only to shut down operations again. Now, it looks as though Toys R Us could be back on track to open stores once more. New York-based WHP Global announced, via press release, that it has acquired a controlling interest in True Kids Incorporated, the Toys R Us parent company that appeared to be faltering for good as recently as February. WHP CEO Yehuda Schmidman suggested in the firm's statement that people are as eager as ever to buy toys. It's just a matter of figuring out the best way to connect with them. Quote, Our investment in Toys R Us reflects our belief and passion for the brand, said Schmidman. We are thrilled to be taking the reins of the world's leading toy brand at a time when the category is up 16% and consumer demand for toys is at an all-time high. This is a natural fit for WHP as we can leverage our global network and digital platform to help grow Toys R Us and Babies R Us around the world. But WHP intends to approach the opening of U.S. stores with a different view of where shoppers are these days. Continuing the quote, there are so many malls that will no longer be in the future, so we don't need to be there, he said. Continuing, but we could be in malls that do have traffic, so we really have an opportunity not just to capture that experience for toys that people are yearning for, but also capture where people want to shop. That will be very interesting post-COVID, unquote. If all goes as planned, new stores could be appearing in time for the 2021 holiday shopping season, the report notes. And Toys R Us logo could soon be gracing storefronts in places where traditionally it hasn't been. Pop-ups, airport locations, or mini-stores inside of other retailers' shops, according to CNBC, as well as more conventional flagship anchor stores. So again, hope on the horizon for Toys R Us in some way. Uh, but you know, twice bitten,
3: right? At this point, fool me once, shame on you.
4: <laughs> I really hope they can make a a go of it. I I know based on that story and based on some other stories that I read because I I got really excited. It seems like they're also going. They're going to have you know obviously the major brands, Lego, Mattel, all that kind of stuff. But it also seems like they're going to be like they had started to do, opening up part of their stores to adult toy collector. Kind of little boutiques. Yeah.
1: Some poor bastard customers in a shop somewhere, alternately starting up his Jeffrey the little Giraffe costumes and putting him back down when they tell him to stop.
4: <laughs> like I said, I'm I'm hopeful. I I can't tell you how many times in the last what it, what's it been three years, four years that I'm like, oh, I can get that at Toys. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I had a weird flashback, Todd, as you were reading the name of the company, because I missed the when you said "true," and I all I heard was Kids Incorporated. And I'm like, the TV <laughs> the show from the '80s. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
4: oh, like, what a, are they gonna get,
3: get Martika and Fergie to start
2: singing or something? What's going on here? <laughs> I'm I'm all for musical reunions. I'm not sure. I'm I'm all for that one. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I loved it back in the time That, that spoke to a young musical theater kid But
3: Oh, it's, it's a dated show for sure And <laughs> never was that realistic it's, it's, It uh, was a fef- definite fantasy world production That's all I'll say on that <laughs> one
2: <laughs> For the uh, younger listeners out there Kids Incorporated was a TV show That was basically the kids' bop albums uh, That was just a little bit older With a small drama in between the songs Wow.
1: Yeah, and just, as ex- ki-
2: and just as cheesy as Kid Pop.
1: I remember <laughs> yes. that existed, but I don't think I ever watched it. And that's, I can see why I didn't. That sounds
2: awful. They're all yeah. available on YouTube if you're feeling saucy. My mm. sisters
1: and I watched it
3: religiously when we were kids. And then as I started getting older, I'm like, yeah, this isn't, uh, this isn't all that great. <laughs> uh, there's another actress that was on there that ended up becoming famous, and I'm totally blanking out on her name. Uh, was
4: it? Sarah Silverman?
3: No, wasn't Sarah Silverman. I um, wish it was. That'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, she was on that show. I think Seventh Heaven was the name of the show or something like...
1: Or no, Party of Five. Uh, Renee Sands. Nope. Fergie. I
3: already America. mentioned
1: Fergie. I know. I'm just going through the names here. I'm sorry. Brittany nope. Murphy. Brittany Murphy's got a big name. I didn't know Brittany Murphy was in
2: there.
3: Jennifer Love Hewitt? Yes, thank you. That's the one I was thinking of. <laughs> Jennifer Love Hewitt was in it.
2: Mario Lopez is a part of it too. Uh, yeah,
3: didn't he? Like it was just like he was in like one episode or something like that. Yeah,
2: I think I didn't think like he had a, a large star. role. Hell, he might even be in background.
3: <laughs> yeah, it says background dancer and musician throughout the series. So apparently, he was in more than one episode.
2: The best part of the show was everyone in the background fake playing instruments and drums. Yes.
3: Oh God, it was so terrible. Yeah, worse, worse,
1: <laughs> yeah, worse than the girls in the uh, the uh, Robert Palmer videos.
2: About the same. About the same. And yeah, this week uh, we honor someone that we lost. We lost uh, actor Yafet koto Oh
1: yeah,
2: he's died yeah. at the age of eighty-one. Born in Harlem, Koto began to study acting at the age of sixteen. Three years later, his career began in earnest with a 1958 stage performance of Shakespeare's Othello. He made his on-screen debut in 1964's Nothing But a Man, a dramatic examination of racial discrimination in the United States. From that point forward, Coda would go on to appear in nearly 100 different projects. In 1973, Cotto secured his big screen legacy when he took on the, the, well, the dual role of Bond antagonist Kananga slash Mr. Big in Live and Let Die, Roger Moore's first outing as 007. Six years later, he joined the cast of Alien, in which he played Parker, the easygoing engineer aboard the Nostromo. Cotto would later reprise the role in a voiceover for 2014's Alien Isolation video game. Toto's other notable genre roles included William Laughlin in The Running Man and Doc in Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. (laughs) Interestingly, he uh, turned down the role of Captain Picard in Star Trek The Next Generation.
3: Really? I didn't know that. That Uh, Wow.
2: Right? That would have been a whole different thing. Uh, That is one thing that uh, in an interview he did say he regretted a decision. (laughs) That was the one. Uh, He was also considered to play Han Solo in Star Wars. Of course, they went with Harrison Ford instead. Irvin Kershner offered him the role of Lando Calrissian in The Empire Strikes Back, but he decided to pass on the character who, of course, was ultimately played by Billy D. Williams. So we, uh, we honor you, Yafet Kodo. A man who was so
0: badass that there are at least three times in the Alien movie where everything could have been fixed if they just had let Parker do what he wanted to do. <laughs> yeah right Instead, somebody gets in his fucking way and everything continues to go to shit <laughs> he was also funny he could actually do funny real well and he in a very understated comedy role uh was in midnight run with yeah.
2: charles groden
0: and right. robert de niro
2: three additional game of thrones shows are in various stages of development These projects will focus on different times and places in the Game of Thrones world. The one that is reportedly the most developed at this point is a project called Nine Voyages. According to Deadline, this project already has a creative team on board, including Martin himself and writer-producer Bruno Heller, who is a part of Pennyworth and Gotham. The show would take place at roughly the same time as House of the Dragon. That's the one that they are focused on right now. And this show would focus on the great voyages of Corliss Valerian. Aboard his ship, Sea Snake, Valerian traveled the known Game of Thrones globe, as well as lands not previously traveled to, like Yi and the wealthy nation of Lang. Valerian also tried to travel to the north in an attempt to find passage around the top of Westeros, but was foiled by gigantic icebergs and frozen seas. The second project is reported to take place in Flea Bottom. That's the poorest part of King's Landing. While there are no details on when this show would take place in the Game of Thrones universe, there are several characters from the original show who came from Flea Bottom, including Gendry and Ser Davos Seaworth. And the last project is 10,000 Ships, which takes place a thousand years before the events of the original series. This show would follow the journey of Princess Nymeria as she and her remaining people traveled from Asos to Dorne after their defeat by the Valyrian Freehold in the Second Spice War. These three projects are still in the very early stages, and the Game of Thrones universe will likely see its first expansion with the other shows further along in development. Uh, House of the Dragons, as I mentioned, which stars Patti Considine, uh, Olivia Cooke, Emma D'Arcy, and Matt Smith— is the farthest along and is set to go into production this April. Two other projects, the Game of Thrones animated series in the works at HBO Max and the Don Quixote-like Tales of Dunk and Egg, also appear to be in the later stages of development than the three projects reported on this week. They were kidding when they said they were planning on exp- expanding the Game of Thrones universe. That's three shows for sure in full development and these three in potential development.
0: The first and the third interests me. The The guy cruising the ships going to a whole bunch of different lands, I think, might actually be interesting. Uh, and the third one, establishing Dorn, I think would be kind of cool. I'm totally spent on the, shall we call it, the contemporaneous uh, Westeros world. I have no interest in Dunkin' Egg, and I have no interest in anything in Flea Bottom, so anything that expands the world geographically, I would be interested in, especially since it would probably not be
2: European culture based. So, yeah. Is that what puts you off on not wanting to continue in the, yeah. quote unquote modern game of Thrones.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, I'm, I'm sick of European based, uh, fantasy. Ah, it's like, get creative. Let's, you know, come on enough of the, Hey, look at how awful it was to live in Europe a thousand years ago. (laughs) Magic, you know.
2: James Wan's production company, Atomic Monster, is behind a new Netflix horror series called Archive 81. The series is based on a popular podcast by the same name, which launched in 2018, and describes itself as a fiction podcast about horror, cities, and the subconscious. The podcast co-creators, Mark Sollinger and Daniel Powell, will also be co-producers on the series. The story follows an archivist named Dan Turner, who takes a job reconstructing and restoring a collection of damaged videotapes from 1994. The tapes contain the work of a documentary filmmaker named Melody Pendress, who met a horrifying end while investigating a dangerous cult. The podcast has run for three years so far. Juan and atomic monster are behind the conjuring universe of movies if you are not familiar
1: that's actually uh i haven't wa- listened to much of that i mean i like the idea of uh fiction as a podcast uh there's a there's a podcast called alice isn't dead or something like that, that that's very good but i haven't listened to that whole thing i have just listened to bits of it but I, I like the idea that we should be doing more of that just don't 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 listen to
4: tannis What's wrong? Why? Why? What's, what's Oh, what's yeah, tennis?
1: yeah. I, li- I did listen to a little bit of tennis and that does just go forever.
4: Oh, yeah, it it's definitely doing my least favorite soap opera thing. Oh, like old school soap opera, where you know if you listen to three or four episodes, you get one episode's worth of story progression. Mm. It's interesting, and it kept me listening for like the entire first season, and then when it started up the second season. It started doing Tannis tropey things, right? Like he's got a hacker friend. Like it's set up like it's a documentary, right? This guy's tracking down the hidden meaning of Tannis, right? So it it's plays like serial or you know any of those other real life mystery uh, mm-hmm. podcasts. But he's got so he's got this hacker friend, and literally this is the conversation every time he asks her to do something. It's like he's like, "So can you?" Can you track down blah, blah, blah? She's like, yeah, I'm on it. He goes, really? You can do that? Every single time. <laughs> it's like, dude, you've been contacting her now for 20 episodes. Yes, she can do this.
3: <laughs> Sounds like first season of Criminal Minds when they had to keep calling Garcia for tech support or yeah. to look up stuff on the computer. It's, it's, they, they basically asked, oh, you can do this? Watch me work, darling. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Scarlett Johansson has signed on to appear as the titular character in Bride, a spin Mm -hmm. on the Bride of Frankenstein mythos (laughs) from Apple and A24. Oscar-winning director (laughs) Sebastian Leo, uh, who did uh, The Fantastic Women and Gloria, will direct the film. Orange is Mm -hmm. the New Black writers Lauren Shuker, Blum, and Rebecca Angelo are on board to co-write the movie alongside uh, Lilo. The movie is described as a genre bending project that puts Johansson in a new take as, quote, a woman created to be an ideal wife. The singular obsession of a brilliant entrepreneur who rejects her creator and is forced to flee her confined existence, confronting a world that sees her as a monster, unquote. Uh, The journey will find Johansson's bride forging her own identity in the process, discovering, quote, her surprising power and the strength to remake herself as her own creation. Uh, there's no word on a release date for Bride nor on whether the movie is destined to premiere directly on Apple TV Plus or that it could be a theatrical debut.
1: Okay, I'm, I'm definitely uh, down with that. That sounds great. Yeah, spin that, I, Bride. Yeah. I, I confess yep. when you said she was going to play Bride, I, I, I thought you was referring to the Bride from the Kill Bill movies. I'm like, really?
2: That seems- <laughs> Although you <laughs> could mash up the two still. There's no reason you couldn't. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, would, I would watch a frankenstein's bride bride
4: <laughs>
2: yeah, they kind of did do that in dc comics recently so i just like the
1: word titular <laughs> oh sure and i'm the one in trouble for the bad word play
2: keanu reeves is about to bring his comic book series to the screen Reeves is set to both produce and star in a pair of Netflix projects: a feature film and an animated series based on his comic Berserker, uh, spelled B-R-Z-R-K-R. Oh, which so
3: not the uh, not the song then?
2: No, but that is the <laughs> thing that comes to mind. I, Kirsten right. is actually holding up a copy of the comic book. Wow, look at that! It's For a our dark, at home. Right, a dark fantasy saga about an immortal warrior who looks like Keanu Reeves. Imagine <laughs> that. Created with co-writer Matt Kint and artist Ron Garney, Berserker is the story of a millennia-old warrior battling through the ages, doing job after job in the hope that one day he'll get the peace he spent centuries longing for. Reeves developed the concept, then worked with Kent into turning it into a 12-issue comic book miniseries. The comic debuted on Kickstarter last year to record-breaking fundraising before being published earlier this month by Boom Studios. The first issue of the comic sold more than half a million copies, which is good for any single issue these days, but especially good for a non-superhero title. Uh, The project is part of Boom's ongoing first-look deal with Netflix. The feature film version of Berserker will be a direct adaptation of Reeves, Kent, and Garney's 12-issue series, while the anime will explore more of the wider Berserker universe. Kirsten, what do you think of it so far?
0: Uh, my love for it is like a truck.
2: <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> that so much. <laughs> um, Would you
1: like to make in- a <laughs> <pong dessert? laughs> <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
0: it's... Uh, yeah. It, it, and it's really funny, because you hit it right on the head. It's It's like... Every three or four pages, there is a panel where someone's like, "God, he's he looks just like Keanu Reeves." Really?
1: No. no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love how Todd's just I mean, getting tired of me. <laughs> I mean, I mean that would be a funny meta thing, but I mean that's in my head because of watching um, uh, *Arsenic Old Ways*, where. They keep talking about the character looking at Boris Karloff, and he was played by Boris Karloff in the uh, play.
2: You're still watching that?
1: Right. No, but that's why it's that kind of that's why I, I fell for that so easily. Oh, gotcha. I've seen that recently. Also, I'm stupid. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. No, it's cool. You know, it's uh, it's it's sort of a fantasy John Wick thing, but instead of like Wick is just this determined. There's you know, there's more behind it. And it makes total sense that, you know, that there was a movie behind the comic just waiting to happen.
1: Storyboards Mm -hmm. are done.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Zack Snyder. He's, uh, you know, fresh off of Justice League. so
2: You know what? His slow motion style, I think will work with this very well.
0: There you go. (laughs) It'll be black and white. And, uh, you know, (laughs) hey, you can get some Frank Miller Sin City action going.
4: Yeah, that's right. Only using one color in the frame. Yeah, puce. You're selling me on this project. Black
0: white (laughs) puce. I know. Well, that's what Geek Shock does. We 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 make it better.
1: Well, is that our new is that our new slogan? (laughs) Yeah, we
0: make pop culture better. Dot dot dot. (laughs) Well, dot dot dot. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that should be on the back. Well. Actually, there are so many geek shock shirts that you 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 have a you have you have the model on the front and then you got your commentary
1: on the back. Just that one right there. Yeah. Geek Shock shirt. Motto on the front. Commentary on <laughs> <in> the back. <laughs> and on the back is an indeed dot dot dot. Navy
4: <laughs> line <laughs> <lion> bird. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Wavy line bird. You kiss your mother with that mouth? (laughs) Man, I want to be a guest on Ice Cream Social just so I can tell that story.
2: (laughs) Tamer Bekbombitov, who is best known for the action... (laughs) What? (laughs) Man,
0: press mute when you're going to do that shit.
2: (laughs) I actually spelled this one out phonetically, so it rolled <laughs> off the tongue. Can you say it again Absolutely. without
0: us fucking it up.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it was just us not believing you did that. Timur Beck-Bombitoff, who is best known for the action film Wanted and the first-person live-action shooter Hardcore Henry, has a new project. The filmmaker is set to adapt Julian Terry's horror short Don't Peek into a full-length feature film. Don't Peek made its world premiere on March 15th at the South by Southwest online film festival. The story follows, quote, a young woman discovering a frightening video game character intent on crossing into the real world, unquote. In the short film, the video game uh, the girl is playing is Animal Crossing. (laughs) When I saw this story, I had to seek out this short film, and I have to say one of the more affecting horror shorts I have seen in a long time. I was uh, genuinely creeped out by this. I could definitely see this expanded into a larger film that I would be very, very interested in. And I hope, and I'm sure they won't use Animal Crossing because Nintendo certainly won't let them use it in a horror movie. But if it stays on that whole cutesy level, yeah, it it adds a level of disturbing, that, that whole innocence being broken by an evil entity that just works really well, especially for the short uh, subject matter.
3: (laughs) And I was frequently creeped out by Todd's horror shorts.
2: Thank you. (laughs) Absolutely. And by horror
3: shorts, I mean the fact that he didn't wear pants around the house.
2: And still does. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, check it out. Uh, It's called Don't Peek. I believe it's on YouTube. And definitely if you're into horror... I haven't been affected on that eerie, creepy level like that in a while. So it always impresses me when something comes along and does that. Because mm. I feel so jaded to so many horror things that you know, horror <laughs> is scary to me anymore. But once in a while, something comes along that just kind of raises the hair on my neck. And this was one of them.
1: Mm.
2: What raises the hair on your neck? Write to us. Comments at com. <laughs> And I do want to throw out there that uh, we want to send our hearts out to shock monkey Jamie. She lost her mother this week. And, Jamie, uh, we love you, and we are so sorry to hear that. So yeah. I just want to let you know that uh, our hearts are with you.
1: And tip of the hat to the monkeys that got together and sent her flowers and, and all that. That, that, was, that was sweet of you guys.
0: Yeah. Thank you for organizing that, Jake. Not to mention
3: the donation to Stand Up to Cancer, which... Uh, is yeah. one of the one of those that actually gives the money to, for research as opposed to awareness. So mm-hmm. good nice. on them.
2: And until next week, I am Master Torgo.
1: Eighties Jeff. Don't PK. Backtrack candy.
4: <laughs> Professor Biggs. Wait, where did he we'll, come from?
2: And we'll Bye. talk to you next week in Geek. Haha, We put a switcheroo in there. Ha-ha, yeah. Where did Biggs come from? He wasn't there at the beginning, or was he? Ha-ha. He was there the whole time. But there's always a few things every every week that I have to cut because of it just getting too intelligible, unintelligible. Excuse me. (laughs) No, no, you you were Uh, in the first (laughs) time. Yeah.
1: Uh, What's 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 up there, uh, uh, Rick?
2: (laughs) Uh, Morty. Uh, you you have no idea how many burps I edit out of this show.
0: I'm so upset that you edit out my belches. What the Uh-oh. fuck is Steve doing laying new chain. Uh,
3: hold on, I ESO? just got a message from him. I gotta read it here. Downloading Skype to my iPad. <laughs>
2: oh, God. <laughs>
0: Why? Why? I don't know.
2: We're just, oh. we're just gonna pretend that Steve was here the whole time. <laughs> I just want it to be weird. Yeah, I like that. <laughs>
4: Okay. When I got your message to join the show, I was right in the middle of um What what discuss- message
2: to join the show? Don't you remember you've been a part of this show the whole time?
4: <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Darn it, well, um, don't
2: don't don't break the illusion. <clears throat>
4: Yeah, I'm not breaking. I, Todd, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm talking like at 3 o'clock when you sent me the message. Oh, I'm... shit, I'm breaking the illusion. <laughs> yes. the,
2: the call breaking time like message. Breaking like the wind, baby. Breaking yeah, the like call... the wind.
4: When you sent me the call time message. Oh, the call's coming from inside the house. Yeah.
0: <laughs> speaking,
4: of, speaking of that.
0: You know, that and uh, uh, the. Ah, the, the, the... Eh, shit. connection it's Fluid to the... motion versus it's... jerking motion. Okay,
1: there yeah. we go. That's that's the that's
0: the difference right there, yeah. Yeah, save the jerking motion for something for another <laughs> stump.
4: <laughs> <laughs> hey oh
2: I guess that brings us to weekend geek. Yay! Yay! Woohoo. Uh <laughs> Edit. <laughs> Fake playing instruments and drums. Yes.
3: Oh god, it was so terrible.
2: It's uh yeah, it's... No one can see you, Steve.
4: What? <laughs> what do you mean? I'm doing this for the viewers at home.
2: Uh, he was also considered Damn. to play Han Solo in Star Wars. Uh, but uh, of course, they went with Han Solo and St- with Han Solo with. Uh... <laughs>
4: Jesus. Well, I mean, he is.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mad-, Mad TV was as good as Saturday Night Live in 1983. Yes. <laughs>
4: What was the cast that. of Sign Live* in '83?
1: Shit,
0: uh, exactly. That
4: yeah. I, in '83, I believe that was during the dark time. Yes. Yeah,
0: and
4: actually, '83 yeah. so like, is not bad. It's it's weird, but it's not
1: bad. It's Eddie Murphy, Julie Louis Dreyfus, Tim uh, Kazarinski Piscopo, right well, Oh, okay. Yeah,
2: yeah. It 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 starts some some nobody who would never go on again to ever act in a good movie ever again. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., I think his name was. Yeah,
4: there. yeah, that
1: guy. He wasn't oh, terribly boy. funny on the show, though.
2: But What's funny is, as much as I love the actors of this the season that I'm referencing and have no year on, uh, I, I love so many of the actors in that. Yeah, it was like Joe
4: Cusack and, yeah. and and I Anthony, think Jim Belushi had come
2: into Anthony, it. Anthony Michael Hall.
4: Anthony Michael Hall, yep. Oof. But yeah, you're right. That was, oh, that was rough. <laughs>
1: 20, Kevin Nealon, Mike Myers, Chris Farley, Adam Sandler, Jay Moore, Ellen Cleghorn, and Al Franken. But it's their last season on all those, and the what? only season. And this ta- is the a...
2: what, 19... what? do yeah, you He's way off.
1: Yeah,
2: you're a decade up.
1: Out... Yeah, no, I, I was. I was. I was. trying to seeing what was. I was seeing what was competing with Mad TV. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and
2: he's like, having Andy. his own conversation. Yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah.
2: You know, I popped on YouTube and watched some old ugly couch show episodes the other night.
3: Oh wow. Yeah. Why well, would you do that?
2: Just to watch the what's going on in my mouth reactions. Although the, the pinnacle episode, in my opinion,'s fourteen by far. That was the one that truly launched what's going in my mouth.
1: Which was fourteen? It
2: was, the, it was our Japanese episode and it was the day that I discovered Lightning Bolt. Uh, <laughs> Steven Segal Steven, Steven Seagal's Seagal's lightning lightning
3: Bolt. lightning. I was just gonna say that's gotta be the one. The sucker on a bus.
2: <laughs> yeah, the old bus sucker. That's that it we were because at up to that point we were just drinking energy drinks. And most energy drinks taste the same. They're fine. It wasn't a it wasn't a thing of like, oh, what crazy thing can we drink? It was like, oh, what energy drink are we drinking this week? Uh we found this one it it's got a picture of stewie on it you know whatever mm-hmm. uh but that week we we found Steven Seagal's lightning bolt and we assumed it was like every other energy drink out there but it wasn't it 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 was a it was a it was like the creature from the black lagoons capybara water
0: <laughs> wow
3: <laughs> yuck i i just remember it was gross i didn't get a chance to try it but like Both of you guys had like the most visceral reaction to that when you take took the first sip.
2: (laughs) Well, that was that was the magic of that particular one because we weren't doing what's going to my mouth. You know, after that, we knew what we were getting into. We knew it was going to be horrible. This one took us out of the blue. Yeah, we 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 expected the the light tangy, slightly acrid taste of some energy drink, and instead we got molasses and bong water. Yeah. (laughs) Episode 14 is a gem.